Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Badlands Podcast, the only podcast out there that is 100% chiselled and is proudly part of the Chairshot Media Group. I am Mags, and with me, as always, on this uh, very, very special weekend recording, my podcast wife, Mr. Paul Talley. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm feeling good. Cheers, Mags. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Getting uh, getting into the Christmas spirit, uh, getting the last bits of our Christmas shopping done online because you can't go into stores uh, because everywhere's locked down. Yeah. I, I, I've been searching all over eBay for, for one of these vaccinations, try and get, try and get one early. <laughs> There's no hope for you, Welsh. You, you, we, we're cutting you off. You're we're definitely last on the list. <laughs> yeah. Welsh between the ages of 20 and 40, never getting it. No, exactly, exactly. Um Paul, today we have got someone who I can't believe in all the episodes we've done, he's never been on this show. It's an absolute shock and it's about time we rectified that we've got one of the pillars of the of the Twitter wrestling community, one of the, the standout creators in, in our in our scene. It's Mr. Warren Hayes. Warren, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me, both of you, on uh, on your show, Paul. Uh, what's your name, Max? Um, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a thrill to be here. Thank you very much. And it has been a while. It's weird, but uh, you know, I've done a couple of your other numerous podcasts. So you know, at some point, I'm like, ah, oh, well, I've talked to Max before. It's cool. What a subtle dig! <laughs> a couple of your numerous, many, many podcasts. <laughs> So this is the first time you ever even really spoke to Paul. So yeah, yes. so I'm 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 making it my mission to get Paul on on more more people's podcasts. I'm, I'm he's reluctantly accepting me as as his booking well, agent. I mean, I don't want to air dirty laundry here, but I, I think we're, you know I think you know I understand your intentions, Max. But we've talked about having Paul on my show before, and you straight out told me he's like, well, Warren, he's Welsh. <laughs> so I'm like, what, what does that mean? He says, "Trust me, Warren. He's Welsh." I'm like, "Okay, fine." But I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what that means. I know, I know, you know, I know where Wales is. I understand, you know, that's fine. But you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Max reason. is trying to bury you, Paul. That's definitely not what I'm trying to say. I would never do such a thing. Being Welsh is kind of like a blessing and a curse. <laughs> kind of like being French Canadian. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, Warren, seeing as you've never, ever been on Badlands, uh, we need 
to to hear your uh, Mount Rushmore, the greatest wrestlers of all time. So, uh, Paul, our resident accountant, can can add your picks to our collated list. So, who are the the four greatest wrestlers according to uh, Mr. Warren Hayes? Okay, right. The greatest wrestlers of because I thought it was the greatest wrestlers in my mind because that's a whole <laughs> different thing. <laughs> that's very very different from. The greatest wrestler from Ric Flair, Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. You know, because what I consider what I consider to be the greatest in my mind is very, very different than what reality might want us to look. But that, that's the beauty of this, though, because it, the the subjectivity of wrestling means that there's no wrong answers. So your greatest wrestlers. Well, let's see. Let's see if we can. <laughs> if, 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 let, let's put that to the test here. On my <laughs> Mount Rushmore. <laughs> on my uh, on my Mount Rushmore. Scott Putski, third generation wrestler, son of the great Ivan Putski. I think Scott's claim to fame was having a. Uh, a WCW World Heavyweight Championship title match on an episode of Nitro 1998 against then-champion Bill Goldberg, who defeated him in 52 seconds. Now, the great thing here, the great thing here about Scott Putski is that he had done absolutely nothing of note to warrant a World Championship match, and yet he got one. So that, to me is the mark of a great wrestler, all right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, a lot of people agree with you. That's his seventh pick. <laughs> <laughs> that would have now, been awesome. <laughs> my number, next on my Mount Rushmore, above average Mike Sanders. Oh, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate a guy who decides to bill himself as Above average. You know, I'm not great, but I'm I'm better than most guys. <laughs> and I can that to me is such a show of confidence in one's skill set, uh, a, a, a level of self-awareness that multiple wrestlers are completely unable to have, even to this day. Mike Sanders, above average Mike Sanders. Absolutely on the uh, on my Mount Rushmore. And a great pick. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Now, uh, my next pick. Actually, well, okay. They're, they're actually okay. Well, no, uh, because they actually they kind of go together. But I'm still going to break it down a bit. Scotty Riggs. Here's here's a guy. Listen, this is how genius your career goes. Here, this is a guy who starts off. Like, like, who really gets recognition, didn't start, but gets recognition teaming up with Buff Bagwell, the American males, right? And this is a guy who who breaks, who, who gets bigger than Bagwell while he's in the tag team. So they split them apart. And then he, what happens next? Arguably, Buff Bagwell becomes the bigger star once they're singles guys. And Scotty Riggs becomes a member of the flock. <laughs> of Raven's flock. Now, if you can't get behind that as just like pure uh, 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 kismet in in wrestling trajectory of your career, I think it's great. I, it, 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 you need a special skill set to be one of the American males 
and then end up being, you know, covered in, 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 in flannel and having your wet hair over your eyes. That's fantastic. And my last pick, legendary wrestler, AWA, WCW, NWA, Mike Enos. He's done it all. He's even been a referee. He's been, uh, he wore a mask to attack the, uh, uh, the, um, I want to call them the skyscrapers, but that's not it. Shit, what were they called? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, but here's the thing. <laughs> the, what's great about he, this is why I, I, I tie him in here with Scotty Riggs because they had, uh, they had an absolutely horrible match on Clash of the Champions 1997. They're on a pay-per-view, and as you guys know, right, Clash of Champions. What does Clash of Champions mean? It means that all the champions are there, all the titles are defended. What title did Scotty Riggs and or Mike Enos have? None! <laughs> so imagine, look at, so this adds to, the, to Scotty Riggs' induction here as well. They didn't have a title, and they ended up on a pay-per-view where only champions are supposed to be fighting. And on top of this, they wrestled for about two and a half minutes. And it was shit, guys. It was absolute shit. <laughs> if you can't appreciate the effort, the career that Mike Enos had to reach this point and have a terrible match on an evening where he wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place with Scotty Riggs, who was done with the flock, I believe, at this point. Good for Scott. Uh, I, I I don't know what to tell you. That that's my Mount Rushmore right there. Wow, excellent. <laughs> so so we we covered the the actual greatest of all time. So what 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 was what was the Mount Rushmore of your mind? <laughs> I just said above average, Mike Sanders, Scott Putski, son of legendary Ivan Putski. No, okay. Um. If I were to do like a, I don't know. These things are really hard. They're really, really difficult. <laughs> you you like it's easier, that off your tongue. <laughs> it's, it's easier to come up with shit answers than legitimate ones. I don't, um, think, I don't think we should give you a second chance to, I think they should go down in history as your official Mount Rushmore of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And I endorse it. I am, I am, <laughs> I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> I've we have to take people's first answers, right? Because I've, I've God knows, I'd love to take uh, a debut. And, and you, so, so you guys are you're holding a list. You're holding like a spreadsheet of all these answers. I am thrilled that I was able to add above average Mike Sanders to a list of Mount Rushmores. I really do. <laughs> How many like, other votes has he got, Paul? Uh, just well, none, none. He's, <laughs> he's, he's new to the list. Like, frankly, that's how he's built above average mics. And it's so fascinating to me that he that he has the, the, the that's it, the, the self-awareness to say, look, I'm not great. You guys are going to accept me for who I am. I love it. I can't I cannot not get behind that guy. I mean, the average number of votes per person is 4.2, so he's not quite there yet, but... Below average. He's below average. I'll make a case for him. I will, I will pre I'll create a presentation deck in PowerPoint to back up my points. I'll make sure that he gets more votes. 
the, the worrying thing is you that you, you convinced me that they all deserve at least a mention. And and these were all terrible, terrible wrestlers. He, he wasn't terrible, he was above average. Clearly not. <laughs> one vote over four point one votes is not above average. Well, not yet. You have to let these things build, you know? It's like, um, you know, at some point you, you, you're going to be, oh, okay, eventually he gets there. It's the little train that could. Choo-choo. Choo-choo, Mike Sanders. I'm all, I'm all aboard the Sanders Express. I, I guess if we add in every professional wrestler who's currently got zero, he, he might be above average. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> there you go. That's true, though. Like, uh, uh, Disco Inferno's not on your list, right? He's not, thankfully. So there you go. So he's in instantly above Disco Inferno. Then again, you know, a uh, can of rat poison is above Disco Inferno. <laughs> but... <laughs> this is turning into a shoot episode. <laughs> wow. Before we start getting uh, cancelled by the wrestling community poll, does, <laughs> does, does Warren's picks in any way affect... The current collated Mount Rushmore. I've got a feeling it does. No, it's just it's just slowed my laptop laptop down a bit by expanding <laughs> expanding my spreadsheet. <laughs> wow. My picks well, my picks got this crashed Paul's laptop. I love it. At least you've you've done something that hasn't happened since the very first episode. You've got four debutants on on our collated list. Hey, you know what? If it, it, I think it's important. I think these guys should be kept in in the conversation or a conversation anyway. Any type of any conversation. <laughs> yeah, just, just in, <laughs> in passing, a conversation in passing. Yes. Well, we're up to seventy-three people now. Wow, seventy-three unique picks, and and sixty-nine of them deserve it, and then obviously Warren's for. <laughs> what does that mean, Mags? <laughs> I mean, you've got a weird sense of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yes, I do. <laughs> you did say wrestling is subjective. So I did, I did. So if if you were to have a second bat at this cherry, who would you put on the the original <laughs> of the greatest wrestlers of all time? Uh, okay, but uh, but. Uh, this is informal because these are my my official picks. Are these oh, four guys? Yeah, they're, they're done. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think you go with uh, I think you go with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. I think you go with Ric Flair. Never had him. I think you go with uh, Minami Toyota. Nope. And yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and jeez. Shawn Michaels. No, Liger. Oh. Now they could have they could have made a big difference in the in the actual collector Matt Rushmore, but we'll they they're not a patch on on uh, Mark yeah. Enos and Scotty Riggs. So those would have made things bit... really interesting, but um but but the listeners will never know because I'm not tallying them. Hang on a second. <laughs> this second list would have made things interesting. My first list was very interesting. <laughs> you guys seem to I don't know. Feeling sort of sort of weird being your guest right now, fellas. Starting to understand about the Welsh stuff now. 
getting political. Getting political. Uh, so, Warren, uh, for, for your main topic, we, uh, me and Paul, thought we'd go with wrestlers who have had success with multiple gimmicks. Uh, yes. Now, by success, that's in the loosest sense possible. It doesn't mean they have to have been multi-time world champions, just they've appeared on a show or two as a different gimmick. Um, so we'll uh, we'll go... Uh, and I promise, this, I, I'm much more legitimate here. I promise. <laughs> Are you casting aspersions that you may have not took the Mount Rushmore goat seriously? No, I took it very seriously. Uh, no, 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 no. Excuse me. I took it very seriously. The legitimate, the legitimacy of any list can be challenged, right? And I myself say, well, maybe my, you could challenge my four picks, but no, I took it. I took it very seriously, Max. Would you say above average? Of oh God, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. See how my expectations have been tempered? It's fantastic. <laughs> So let's go on to this main topic then. Who's your first pick on the Mount Rushmore of multi gimmick wrestlers? <laughs> Matt Hardy. Oh, and I think I think it's hard. I think it's hard not to to. I think it's hard to create a list like this and not include Matt Hardy, um, because well, he's. It's not that hard because I did it. Me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even consider Matt Hardy. Oh, no. really? <laughs> well, allow me to entertain you, gentlemen. Um, the, the uh, I know, but on it, like from Team Extreme, right to Big Money Matt, where he was flaunting his money. You know, it's you don't know how hard it is to be Matt Hardy. You know that stuff. Uh, Matt Hardy version one, which was a gimmick, which was really ahead of its time because he was using the internet back in the mid-2000s to, to promote the Mad Facts. And that was a big, big deal. Um, it was super innovative at the time. Uh, so, you know, Mad version V1, uh, Matt, Matt Hardy version V1. Um, I don't know if you guys even remember. I, I don't know if you'd call it a, a gimmick per se, but he had a feud in the late 2000s with MVP. And... Uh, they were doing like they were doing all sorts of competitions against each other, basketball, pizza eating, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like competition, Matt Hardy. Um, and then of course, of course, the the cherry on top of it was is is, is broken, Matt Hardy, right? Mm -hmm. Which revitalized his career and made him part of contemporary wrestling conversations uh, to this day. I um, the, the shadow of broken Matt looms large uh, looms large over his career at this point, and that's fantastic. Um, he's a, I mean, this is it. He's done everything he could to remain relevant, to reinvent himself, to make sure that he wasn't remembered or forgotten, depending on your point of view, for just one thing. Um, knew that you know the Team Extreme thing could only go so far. Um, because he was getting old, his body was getting bruised, uh, so on and so forth. So, and 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 at the same time, he wanted to remove himself from that. At the same time, you know, he, he didn't want to be the spot monkey all his life, and I can appreciate that. So, yeah, Matt Hardy definitely on my on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's a great pick. It's one, like I said, that I definitely didn't consider. But even uh, it's stuff in in uh, AEW now with the the uh, Matt Hardy can't die and stronger than death stuff. Uh, sure. I remember reading a, a, an interview uh, with him just as he signed for AW, and he said he's got dozens of characters 
like yeah. waiting in the wing. So yeah, this is a guy who, who definitely can can uh, put his uh, pull a character out of his out of his uh, magic hat and and reinvent himself. So yeah, it's a great pick. Just one I didn't seem to consider. No, me neither for some reason, but it, it is a great choice and uh, and is a bit of an obvious choice, really, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Paul, let's go yeah. to you for our first pick, then. Okay. Imagine, I just want to put that up. Imagine if, if he had tried calling himself above-average Matt Hardy. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> How over would he have got? Matt Hardy, version 1.5. <laughs> not quite version 2, but still a little better than 1. <laughs> wow. Okay, I, I, I surprised myself. It was it wasn't someone I uh, immediately considered, but after doing a bit of research, I've I've I settled on um, John Bradshaw Layfield. Mm. One of my picks. Yeah, was it? Okay. Um, yeah, he kind of he, he kind of entered uh, entered WWE as uh, as Justin Hawk Bradshaw, a kind of cowboy gimmick, which earned uh, earned a modicum of a uh, modicum of momentum and a and a pay per view match against Savio Vega. Um, he was managed by Uncle Uncle. I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Zebekaya? Yeah, Zebekaya. who was a uh, Dutch Mantel or, or Seb Coulter, the more recent fans. And uh, kind of his gimmick at that time was to brand his defeated opponents with with his initials. Um, he was then uh, paired with Barry Windham um, in kind of a similar gimmick to, to, the, to the previous cowboy gimmick in in the new Blackjacks. And then came the real kind of first real gear shift into into the Acolytes when he was paired with Ron Simmons, Farouk. Um, and this is where Bradshaw came, became immensely popular in kind of for the first time uh, in his brutal st- stiff. Um, I presume they were devil worshippers. I've never really given it much thought, but were the, were the Acolytes devil worshippers? The, the symbols that they had on the chest were, were voodoo symbols. Yeah. So a p- kind of a perfect fit for the Ministry of Darkness, which was which was big at the time, and then obviously they went, they changed their own tag team gimmick into the into the Acolytes Protection Agency, kicking that, anyone. I, I love that. I absolutely that, that was, was brilliant. one of my favorite tag teams ever. They were fantastic. They just ass kickers who would who would who would who would defend anyone who who had the money and showed them mm-hmm. the decency to to enter their office through the door. That uh, door that wasn't attached to any walls. <laughs> what a great running gag that was, though. Like, can you imagine? Then it's like, and then you know, pr- the production team says is told, "Yeah, you got to put that door on the truck now. We're 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 this this door frame is following us across country. You have to make room on the production trucks for this." <laughs> Well, it's brilliant. It, it just worked, though. I mean, I, re- I vividly remember one where uh, Bradshaw forgot his keys to unlock the door, so he had to come round the door to get his keys yeah. to go back round the door to unlock the door. It's just, it was just comedy brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And uh, and the acolytes went on to be three times tag team champions, which is a uh, which is a large amount of success in itself. In a in a tag division that was really on fire at that time um but it's then when he went solo um and kind of undertook the drastic gimmick change into into a rich trader um kind of a, a gimmick that mirrored his real life that i think he earned single success that I, I i certainly wasn't expecting i don't know if any of you guys were expecting him to go on to become a a world champion when you saw him definitely in the not. acolytes absolutely definitely not no of course not uh, um 
his, his, his first title as, as the newly christened JBL was uh, with the Great American Award, which he won for hunting illegal illegal immigrants on the Mexican border, which uh, which <laughs> I'm sure it's a great honour of his. Um, but this this allowed him sanctioned. To... <laughs> at, least, at least they treated it as a heel thing to do, right? Because something tells me. In 2020, he they'd probably try to angle him as a baby face. Oh, absolutely. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would have got more than one world title if he'd done that in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was his great American award allowed him to challenge Eddie Guerrero for the world title. Um, he won their first encounter by disqualification, and then he won the the, the, neck, the title proper in a Texas bull rope against Eddie Guerrero. And then kind of mm-hmm. surrounded himself with the cabinet, which was which is kind of ironic given his prior gimmick was the one providing the protection. And now he was surrounding himself with, with uh, protection himself, went on to hold the title for a staggering 280 days um, before losing to John Cena at WrestleMania 21. And although that was his only world title reign, he would go on to be kind of a, a top tier antagonist for, for the next decade. And, and, uh, and he'd win the grand slam, adding the U S and I intercontinental titles to his world and tag. And then, into the Hall of Fame, which I think he's waiting on going into the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Wasn't he one of this year's class that got delayed? Yeah, he was. It was named to be going in the in uh, this year at WrestleMania, but it'll probably be next year's now. Yeah. So I think I think to come so far from from the acolytes, which was already a very successful gimmick, um, and I, in my mind, I, I I just see them as two completely different people. Like I, I have something in my brain can't compute that Bradshaw is JBL. Um, yeah. So I think they're two very distinct um, gimmicks. So he deserves to be on there. Yeah, and, and what a step up, though. Like you said, from someone who was tag team, uh, just royalty, you never would see him as a, a single dress. I mean, he had he did have a good run in the hardcore, uh, which I think it was that like eighteen time hardcore champion. But you would never have pictured him as carrying one of the the, the major belts and to instantly like transform into a, a title contender. Yeah, it's great work by him. I mean, look at some of the feuds he had as champion. You mean he, he for Undertaker, Booker T, Kurt Angle. Uh, obviously, Cena, uh, Big Show. So he, he didn't have an easy run as champion, and, and to still be be able to hold it for for more than half a year is, yeah, it's testament to him. It's a great pick. Cheers. Is is eighteen hardcore championships above average for a hardcore champion? <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like it probably isn't. Yes. We'll have Slightly to run that yes. by Ma- uh, Max Anders. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. It's nothing if you compare it to uh, to a twenty four seven title champion, you know. But hey, you know, it's above average, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it in Caravito with that one, Paul. Um, let's go back to you, Warren, for your second pick. My second pick is going to be the man they call Sting. <laughs> I have a feeling this is recency bias. <laughs> Frankly, I know it's a la mode right now to do it, but uh, we've been we 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 were talking about doing the show before the Sting stuff happened on Dynamite at the moment that we're recording. What this has already passed, um, and frankly, I had already decided about this because I think because of course, okay, of course we know the Surfer Sting, right? That's fine. 
we 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 know we know uh, we know of him. Uh, that's how you know. That's how he got his big break. Of course, he was in uh, uh, he was in um, uh, he was in a tag team before that. You know, he got his his start with the man who would become the ultimate warrior. That's fine. Uh, but here's a guy who uh, pretty much carried on his uh, on his back as the top baby face of the NWA slash WCW for years and years and years and years. He's a guy who was uh, NWA television champion. He was NWA heavyweight champion. He was WCW US t- champion, uh, numerous, uh, multiple time world champion. Uh, he even held that um, that international world heavyweight champion in a championship in WCW, if you want to remember that one. Uh, of course, tag team champ with Lex Luger and uh, um, all that stuff, right? The accolades of Sting are not to, are, are not to be, uh, don't have, ne- we don't necessarily have to run them down. He's had a legendary career. And as the, as we like to call surfer Sting, despite the fact that we never saw him surf, um, <laughs> The he uh, he was the top baby face of that company when uh, uh, or at least the territories right at the same time and even in, in NWA he was he was the guy who was at the top of the company he was that's why he had so many matches with Ric Flair it's because they they were natural opposites and they made money together and Sting was has always been one of the most over guys in the company a um, an objective draw. At, at, the franchise at that period. player. What's that? That's why he had the nickname, the franchise player. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and multiple time, you know, multiple people have used it, but never to that extent either. You know, Shane Douglas calls himself the draw. Well, you know, can argue. <laughs> That's arguable. Um, but, uh, but in his, but in his case, absolutely. Like he was the guy that he was one of their top guys. The big change happens in WCW. Um, they hire Hogan, they hire Savage, the WWF guys start pouring in. Suddenly, uh, new regime changes, so on and so forth. Sting isn't exactly the top guy anymore or at least his position is redundant let's put it that let's use some good old corporate uh terminology here he his position as top baby face uh happy go lucky slap hands with the fans uh, uh baby kissing baby face is redundant hogan is there savage is there like, okay changes the dynamic a bit and we sort of lose track of him for a while. Then he, he slips to the he slips to the mid card. We don't see him for a while. NWO uh, happens. Where is Sting? What's going on? When he eventually returns, he returns with a, the gimmick that he's best known for. I guess at this point, the crow the crow stuff with the bat, with the standing in the rafters watching the action, with the you know the zip lines, with coming out of nowhere. And beating people up, taking out the entire NWO all by himself. When you talk about a reinvention like that, not only were people excited to see Sting back, because you know, if you were a WCW guy and WCW faithful, of course you want your guy to come in and run off the NWO, these 
WWF invaders, essentially. You want him to come and run them off. And he comes, because now he's in this dark place because WCW abandoned him. They shoved him to the side when that when Hulk Hogan came in. It all made sense on top of it. Paul, Mags, it all made sense. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this is what we're going to remember mostly, you know, the, the transition, because that's the beauty of it, is that it's not just a gimmick change. It's a character change, and it all flowed so naturally. It just, Everything connected, it made sense. Remember, remember when wrestling used to make sense, guys? There you go. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but I think there was a peak that was achieved, and it's one that... Unfortunately, not a lot of people are privy to just because of the nature of the beast. But Impact General Manager Sting is probably his most entertaining work. Do you are you guys are you guys familiar with that period of his career? Yep. I'm not. He went insane. But like delightfully joker insane kind of thing he ever his decision week after week he be he just became enraptured and enamored with himself the power went to his head and he just completely lost it so everything that you got to know about sting the dark brooding white the white face uh, uh white face paint a baseball bat trench coat wearing sting was completely out the door here you had a guy who was on, on, on camera giggling like a schoolgirl with Madison Rain, right? Uh, he just went completely nuts here. And is probably one of the greatest general manager characters the world of wrestling has ever had. I sincerely believe that because he was just completely nuts. Completely nuts. And I loved it. He, he tried, he dared to do something absolutely different. Like, kind of like the from surfer sting to crow sting. Something you're like, wait, are we really going from this to this? The two extremes. Now we're going from, we're not just reverting back. In fact, he wasn't a baby face. We're not reverting back to a baby face mode. We're just going, we're just going nuts. The years of wrestling have got to sting. And that was, that was fantastic. He barely wrestled anymore. That wasn't the point. The point is that, he was just batshit insane. And I loved it. Absolutely fantastic. And that being said, you know, considering the recency of his return and so on and so forth, I'm I'm super happy that he's come back. He brought back probably his most beloved gimmick, I'd say. Um, which again is it, it does add into my rush, my mount mount rushmore ishness. Because if he can come back, what, 20-odd years after after using... No, he did use it in Impact, TNA. Let's say uh, at least over a decade, close, maybe close to two, but at least over a decade. If he can bring it back and people still remember it fondly and are excited to see it, that's the staying power of it. And that's on him for making it work, for making it iconic, Um He's had success with everything he, he he's worked, and I'm glad that he's back. And I hope I, I, I'm just thrilled that he's going to have an opportunity to go on on his terms because I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think we're going to see Sting wrestling every week on Dynamite, you know, wrestling super competitive matches against um, 
against private party. You know what I mean? Like that's that's not what he's there for. If he can come come back to wrestling, go on on his terms, get a proper farewell from the fans. That's what yep. that's what makes me happy. It's a, another outstanding pick, and I think people kind of overlook how how much of a sign of the times his his change from surfacing to crossing was. Uh, I mean, it, obviously, oh, it was huge. Yeah, the NWO get a lot of that the praise of that that kind of a tectonic shift in in uh, in wrestling, but I think. The look of Sting and the 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 night and day change that that, that character had, I think that kind of like uh, rubber stamps the 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 direction WCW was was going for and and the the kind of a demographic they were aiming for, and Sting kind of personified that perfectly for me. I think I think you make an excellent point. Uh, what's your name again, Mags? Um, <laughs> I, I, I do it's... have points sometimes. <laughs> I, no, but I really do believe it's an excellent point because, uh, yeah, everyone was like the NWO Hogan turning heel, you know, kind of thing. But if you were a, a, a an NWA slash WCW guy, uh, one of these faithfuls, having Sting return with without the blonde hair crew cut, without the without the the, the colorful face paint, this was just as huge. If not, if not bigger for WCW fans, because this was such a transformation. It was a shift, a complete shift. And of course, leave it up to WCW to to booking at the time to entice us with a Hogan Sting match for years, and then when we finally get it, give us an absolute shit show of a finish that what that never felt like the proper payoff for for the feud. Um, but it was still something absolutely enormous. And I'll, and I'll just add this, cause you, you made me think of this, Mags. Um, you know, I, the reactions that we saw on Wednesday when Sting came back and, uh, you know, people were like, Oh, they bring back an old guy. You know, so Sting was never a draw, that kind of stuff. Look at how much WWE has controlled the wrestling narrative ever since they've been virtually alone. Sting did end up going to WWF, WWE, excuse me, on the promise that he was going to have his match with Undertaker, which obviously never happened. Um, but he uh, he he just disappeared, and he became he became a non-entity, which is insane. But the minute WWE controls the narrative. On wrestling history, this is the kind of stuff that will fall through the cracks. You cannot talk about wrestling history, the '90s, uh, the the 2000s, without talking about Sting. But if WWE decides not to talk about Sting, well, then we're not talking about Sting, and Sting is going to become a, a a non-person, a non-factor in what we do as a wrestling company, and that's wild to me. So, I so to the fans who didn't understand or who just saw. An old guy returning to the to wrestling didn't get it, and I don't blame them for not getting it. I blame uh, a single company who has been in control of the wrestling narrative for well over a decade and a half. So, and this is why it's it's another reason why it's so important that we do have another national, nationwide, uh, hopefully soon to become worldwide wrestling promotion. Uh, that can help balance this out and give us perspectives and different and and recenter us on 
on, on the true real history of professional wrestling as opposed to one that's adjusted to fit whatever they're about to sell us kind of thing. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Um, it's a, an, an outstanding pick. And I think the testament to Sting is the fact that there's, there's fans who have never, ever seen him outside of, of uh, his very short run of, in WWE right. who, are, who are excited about him coming to AEW. That shows the, the kind of the gravitas of, of, of the character that people are still excited for him, even though they only remember him from two to three matches in, in the WWE. Sure. Absolutely. So, on to our second pick, and it's uh, my first pick. Um, anybody who's ever listened to this show uh, will know who who I will be including, man, so I might as well put him out there first. I'm going to go with uh, the legend that is Barry Darso. Colour me shocked. <laughs> did you did you realise I was going to go for Barry Darso, Paul? I had no idea. <laughs> Of course, I so, knew you'd be going for Barry Darso. Let's let's run down uh, the the gimmick master that was Barry Darso. So he started uh, wrestling in the the mid eighties. Uh, had a few uh, short lived gimmicks uh, in that time. He was the, uh, the Czar Mongo. He was a kind of Russian uh, slash Mongolian overlord. Uh, then he went to uh, George Championship Wrestling and and started wrestling as Crusher Darso, who who was a, a Soviet sympathizer. Uh, eventually, he would take the name of Crusher Khrushchev. And he had a great success in, in the territory system, winning uh, singles and tag gold. Uh, he won uh, tag titles with both uh, Arvin and Nikita Korlov, won it with Paul Roma and also with Jim Niamh Nado. But uh, in the late 80s, 1987, um, the WWE came a, came a calling and they wanted their own version of uh, the Road Warriors. Um, so they'd originally drafted in Randy Cole and um, Bill Eder to, to play uh, the, the characters, but uh, when Randy Cole was uh, was wrestling, they, the fans were, were, were chanting Moondog at him uh, because they recognised him as uh, Moondog Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Vince replaced... Uh, Randy Corley with uh, Barry Darso because he felt that he was a less rec- recognisable wrestler and would be able to, to carry off the, the demolition uh, character in the face paint. So as part of this uh, 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 team, uh, Smash, uh, Barry Darso would, uh, would break the record for the longest uh, WWF tag team title run, uh, which uh, was a record for uh, well over a decade until uh, till the New Day broke it recently. Uh, in all, uh, Demolition were three-time tag team champions, and they'd eventually add a third member to the the, the crew when a uh, crush was added to to replace Billy. He was suffering with uh, long-term injuries and and ill health. But after uh, Demolition uh, disbanded, uh, Barry Darso went away for a little while before he came back with a uh, with the best uh, gimmick that uh, there's ever been in wrestling. Uh, when he came back as Repo Man who was a, a heel character who delighted in repossessing people's uh, property when they, they missed payments. Um, so as the repo man, he had a feud with Virgil when he was hired by uh, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase to, to repossess the million-dollar belt. He had a feud with Macho Man when he repossessed uh, Macho's hat. And uh, he also had a, he had a feud with uh, the British Bulldog when he, uh, he attempted to repossess Matilda the Bulldog. 
Um, after his uh, his run with the WWE ended, uh, he appeared in uh, in WCW in 1994, where he, he actually started under his legit name of Barry Darso, where he uh, he he was doing the the crazy gimmick, acting like he was invading the show and getting kicked out of arenas, uh, getting arrested. Uh, but he was bailed out of a prison by C- Colonel Rob Parker, um, who wanted him to uh, to beat up Dustin Rhodes because uh, they were in a in a feud. So Barry Darso took on uh, the moniker of the Blacktop Bully, and this was a a very very short lived gimmick because he was fired after just one match. Uh, this match being the the infamous King of the Road match, uh, where he and Dustin. Four on the back of a moving flatbed truck, uh, where both wrestlers got very, very injured and also got seen on camera blading, which was totally against WCW's no blood policy at the time. Yeah, so he's uh, he's running WCW, um, ended then, but as, if, were... as if blading was the most dangerous aspect of that match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you've never watched the match, you, you've got to go, it's an absolute spectacle. How they thought it would work is beyond me. Um, but uh, Barry would actually return to uh, WCW with a new gimmick, uh, Mr. Hall in One, uh, where he played an evil golfer. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was another short lived gimmick, though, and it was quickly dropped when he. Uh, he took on a, an amnesia gimmick, and he would uh, come up, come onto the show every week and uh, reprise the gimmicks of, of old, appearing once as a Crusher Khrushchev, reappearing as Mister Holding One, and then re- finally returning to uh, his blacktop bully uh, gimmick for the for the rest of his uh, wrestling career. So my first pick is a uh, is the superstar that is Barry Darso. I. I've always wondered with the with his repo man gimmick. He had he had a little he had a little mask and a trench coat. Like, you know, he 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 was dressed and acted like a burglar. Right? <laughs> it was just like walking around like, you know, sort of shifty shifty eyed and just like staying out of eyesight and just like, look, I'm gonna sneak in and grab something. Have you ever seen a repo man? Have you ever seen someone who works in repossession? They don't go around sneaking around. Most of the people who work in repossession spend eight hours at work and four hours at the gym working on their biceps. They're huge. They're, they're enormous guys who come in and they and it's like they're not going to sneak into your house. They're going to fucking knock on the door until you open and then it's like we're taking this. And you're like no. And if they they'll, – they'll shove you around no problem. And that's something that's always – if he's a repo man, why is he acting like a thief? <laughs> Did the tire marks on his on his ring gear not give it away? Did the did the bits of uh, of tire acting as as uh, epaulets on his on his coat not tell you that he was a repo man? It makes clear sense, Warren. I don't understand what the issue is. I think I, I think probably that's it. He got run over and he just <laughs> he got he you know a couple of screws got loose. Hell, he came back as an evil golfer down the line. So you know. Yeah, and, and that's a gimmick that's been done time and time again, lest we forget Kerwin Watt. Right, but <laughs> he wasn't an evil golfer. He was just uh, an evil Hispanic dude who wants to be white. Yeah, pretty much. Suburban guy, yeah. <laughs> but Paul, does it stay on? You know it doesn't. 
you, you knew it wasn't going to stay on. The reason reason is I I think end the show. I'm quitting the show. <laughs> I'm not sure how you define insuccessful because wow. the, the demolition was successful, sure, but the rest of it. Wow, you disgust me, Mister Tally. He's not even the most successful evil golfer of all time because one's been president for the last four years. <laughs> so you can't oh. even claim that. Bravo. I think he has a point there, Mags. <laughs> so I'm going to replace him. I'm going to replace him with the, with his, the other person who got fired as a result of that match. Um, uh, uh, the Was it King of the Road match? Was that what it was called? Yeah. King yeah. of the Road. He was obviously opposite um, Dustin Reynolds, Dustin Rhodes. And wow. So that's who... I'm going to put on. Um, because after getting sacked in that match, he went on to um, better things. And, and it's, still, it's still doing better things. Whereas, um, I, I, is, is Barry Darso, uh, has he passed away? Oh no. my God, Paul. How dare you? I didn't want to say, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I was going down a route there where I didn't want to say, what's he doing these days? And, uh, and uh, if he's dead, I feel terrible. Um, <laughs> no, he, he was actually part of the um, the concussion lawsuit against WWE, the okay. one that uh, Chris Nowinski was. Uh... Oh, okay, okay. So I don't feel so bad then. Yeah, what, what's Barry Darso doing these days? Um, but Dust, Dustin Reynolds, um, he's inhabited a, a number of great gimmicks, a, a number of shabby gimmicks as well over over his career. Um, kind of after after his early forays in both WWF back and forth, WF WCW kind of. Um, seemed seem to be following his is following his his dad around um, when he was flitting between the companies at the time. Um, it was WCW. He found his first momentum as the natural Dustin Rhodes, and um, there he won uh, the WCW Tag Team Championships twice. Um, once with Ricky Steamboat, once with Barry Windham, who I mentioned uh, as part of uh, JBL's uh, induction, and he won two WCW US Championships as well. And Good. then he also. <laughs> and then he also took part in the in the infamous um, Shockmaster War Games match alongside Sting, uh, Dave Boy Smith, Vader, Sid Vicious, and Harlem Heat. So he was clearly um, building up a really strong head of steam in WCW, and clearly headed for headed for the top there. Until that that match you mentioned there on the back of a on the back of a hay lorry or whatever it was, <laughs> until he got fired alongside Barry Darso. But then, obviously, WWF pounced, saw his talent, and uh, gave him one one of, in my opinion, one of the great gimmicks of all time, Gold Dust. Um, completely refreshing character, kind of pushed push the boundaries of, of what was acceptable at the time. Mm-hmm. He famously, he was an, an, an androgynous character. Apparently, he didn't know what that meant when he accepted the gig <laughs> and, uh, and, and was taken by surprise when he looked it up in the dictionary. Um and he was obviously famously kind of unafraid to use almost a homoerotic act to get heat from his opponents uh, and more importantly, heat from the fans as well. Uh, most famously against Razor Ramon, Ahmed Johnson and uh, Triple H. Um, and is Razor Ramon he defeated for his first Intercontinental Championship. I just think that gimmick, everything, the, the entrance was amazing. Kind of the, the, the whole idea, Marlena, when she came in, um, smoking cigar and kind of uh, directing what he did, the mannerisms. I think it, he just absolutely killed that gimmick and made it what it was and made it a gimmick that is that was still popular up until the, the, the time he left WWE to go to AEW. Um, 
a return to WCW would um, see him debut one of those more trashier characters, Seven, as as Magsy told us about a few weeks ago on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> that was such a horrific gimmick. Yeah. Uh, and then he would become the American Nightmare, which uh, his brother would famously go on to adopt later on, um, or currently. Uh, returned to WWE after the invasion, after his WCW contract obviously ended. Um, or WCW had ended, in fact. Uh, reprised his role as Gold Dust, and then formed one of the great all-time comedy partnerships with Booker T. Um, later in the noughties, another terrible gimmick change to black rain in tna which uh which was uh just just terrible thing to behold <laughs> before yeah more 10 years as gold and every time gold came back every time wf brought dusting back they wanted gold dust and the fans wanted gold dust and he was just popular every time he came back uh, but now obviously it's finally all come full circle and we've, we've got the natural dusting roads back um alongside cody and he had arguably one of one of the greatest matches of 2019 was it? I think it was 2019 um, at, at double or nothing against, against his brother Cody. So I think Dustin, he's had more hits than misses on his, with his gimmicks and he, and he's had a fantastically successful career. So I think he's, he's got to go in over Barry Darso, I'm afraid. That is scandalous. When one of your gimmicks is a child molester, then you shouldn't be allowed on on this list, but there's nothing I can do about it. So, apart from just be ashamed of you, Paul. <laughs> I think the I think Dustin just needs to needs to go away with the brief of his character and could consider it before he says yes. Clearly, uh, <laughs> clearly, he, asked, that was, he didn't learn from the mistake of Gold Dust that he yeah. jumped straight into seven. Maybe just ask someone to read it over. You know, what do you think? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what what do those big eyes. words mean? <laughs> it's a great use of the veto one that I'm not at all happy about but Warren let's go to you for your third pick please pick Repo Man so he can at least stay on someone's Mount Rushmore no I'm going to <laughs> no just no. no I'm going with Ed Leslie gentlemen he had about 70 gimmicks there you go you're going to have to educate me I don't know who he is okay here we go Brutus here we go there you go. Oh, Brutus, right, okay. the barber beefcake, whose only success, first of all, only uh, gold, the only gold that he held um, with um, in, in uh, during his tenure, WWF, WCW, was the WWF tag team titles with Greg the Hammer Valentine. And he wasn't even the barber at that point. He was just... Brutus Beefcake, Greg the Hammer Valentine. They held the title for a hell of a long time, like close to a year. The titles for close to a year, so you know they big ass tag team. And then they did the the then the gimmick switch starts right. We start with Brutus Beefcake, then we become Brutus the Barber Beefcake, which uh, was very very good for his career. That uh, it got him super over, and everyone. Everyone remembers that gimmick. Everyone. And if you don't remember, if you don't remember it because you weren't watching at the time, you know of it. The guy who challenges people to shave their head, cut their hair if they lose a match. With shears. I, with shears. Well, yeah, he mostly used razors when it happened, like electric <laughs> razors, which which was a smart thing to do. 
But that that was the thing. And you know the the whole hair thing. Of course, it's a um, it, it, the the thing about hair in wrestling is that it's always been like this point of pride, you know, especially in uh, um, in lucha, you know, where you'd have hairs hair versus mask, and uh, you know, of course, we all know about how um, how terrible it is, you know, the 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 level of indignity it is to lose your mask in a uh, in a uh, mask versus mask match, but. Uh, same thing with the hair. The hair is a big deal. It was always a big deal in, in in wrestling. So it was nice to have him take that on. Now, here's the he he leaves WWF because Hulk Hogan leaves leaves, and he you know well even before that he had that horrible accident, right? What uh, what was he doing? Parasailing, I think. Yeah. Was was the uh, was the activity that he was doing? What's that? Uh, yeah, I think he was parasailing, and then uh, uh, he was driven into by a ball uh, by a, by a lady, weren't it? I think. Yeah, and and s- demolished his face, yeah. and it's and, and he had his comeback, and people were legitimately happy to to to, to see him return, right? Because because uh, mm-hmm. his face was deconstructed, was just yeah. smashed to bits. So um, so he comes back for a short while in WWE, but then. Hogan jumps to WCW, brings a couple of his pals along, and Ed Leslie is his is his number one friend. He's a top pal. It's a... So he comes in as Brother Brutai, or Bruti. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember how. And that was that was something. That was so that was something, but quickly, that was very short-lived. He became the more better known butcher. No relation to the current AEW tag team, the Butcher, with which he formed the Three Faces of Fear with uh, Kevin Sullivan and uh, 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 Avalanche. Um, was that um, yeah? Avalanche was what he was called. No, what was he called then in WCW? John Tenta. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it was the Shark. Was it the Shark in in WCW? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but John Tenta anyway mm-hmm. it was another guy who has multiple anyway, um, but. So he does the butcher thing, three faces of fear. Then the the um, uh, that disbands, and he becomes the man with no name. You see, he gets amnesia, not unlike your boy Barry Darsal, right? He 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 gets amnesia, forgets who he is. But then he becomes the Zodiac, which is another one of his most memorable gimmicks, as he returns with Kevin Sullivan to create the Dungeon. You know, all the 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 um, the uh, the heel factory to defeat uh, that's looking out to to destroy Hulk Hogan who just arrived, right? And then later he joins the NWO for some reason and becomes the Booty Man. We don't know why. Why did? Why was he the Booty Man? Is it because he had a particularly luscious posterior? No, not. You know that was that was Billy Gunn's thing. Is it because he liked uh, to uh, to acquaint himself with other individuals' uh, uh, rear ends? Maybe, maybe he. But that was never fully exploited. We don't understand why he was called the Booty Man. But yet here we were, fully grown man wearing black and white, lots of leather, calling himself the Booty Man. Anyway, I I digress. His final form, 
<laughs> the final form of Ed Leslie came with the arrival of the ultimate warrior in WCW. That shit show. He was included in this where he was the sole member of uh, uh, Warriors One Warrior Nation, right? His faction. He became the sole member of that and was known as the Disciple. And what did he do? Well, he sort of ran around with a similar trench coat to Warrior and he wasn't, he was barely used because Warrior was in and out in a blink and it was awful, awful, awful. Now, why, why do I want this guy, Ed Leslie, to be on my Mount Rushmore of top gimmicks, despite the fact that he never won a singles title? He ne- never rose to prominence, was never, why would I never won a Royal Rumble? You know, it's like no proper accolades. Here's a guy who's been through so many gimmicks and yet was able to foster some sort of career out of wrestling here, despite having, despite having the most moronic gimmicks, yet so memorable nonetheless, so terrible and sideshowy that despite it all, we look at them today and they're like, this is ridiculous, but in a good way. You know, not in an offensive, like, uh, um, not in an offensive, um, uh, not in an offensive way in any shape, but not in a beaver, beaver cleavage situation where you're like, this is just disgusting. You know, it's like, you guys are talking about incest. This is gross. You know, it's all just so wonderfully delightful. And it does speak to the man. And I, I think it is an accomplishment in and about itself. To have been in, involved in so many high-profile angles. Let's not forget. The Dungeon of Doom was a big deal. The NWO was a big deal. And he was involved in the Warrior angle, which, again, despite the fact that it sucked, was a big deal. Despite the fact that he was involved in all of those high-profile angles, he never won a title. That, my friends, Paul, Mag, is an accomplishment in and about itself. Yeah, it's a it's a good pick. It's a really really good pick. Good I think, yeah, I think his legacy will be that he was one of the greatest finesses of the wrestling world. That he could uh, take a friendship with Hulk Hogan and turn that into a long lasting a career, decade career. Yeah, <laughs> he 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 was friends with the guy with the guy who need he needed to be friends with. And they had a falling out years later. Okay, sure, you know. And, but, you, I mean, maybe he saw the writing on the wall at the same time. You know, we, we, like, to, we like to poke fun at it, at, at Leslie, at Bruce Beefcake. But maybe, we're, maybe he's just smarter than a lot of people gave him credit for. You know, and maybe he's just like, look, I'm going to continue making money if I hang around Hogan. Just as yeah. simple as that. It worked. I it worked. And we remember him. And like I said, yeah. he's been involved in yeah. such... such uh, Big big angles. I mean, you didn't even mention the 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 barbershop incident. I mean, he was uh, an integral part of that. So that's yeah, right. It's a great it's a great pick. Sure it is. Yeah. Paul. Yeah. What pick am I potentially vetoing of yours? 
well, speaking of being friends with the right people, I don't think it was. I don't think it's a cynical friendship. Um, but 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 he certainly benefited from it. I've gone for Charles Wright. You motherfucker! <laughs> Is this one going to be tough to beat? Yeah, was it? Was going to be my next pick. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> You so got it's, it's, political with your vetoes, Paul. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, kind of uh, someone who is such a close friend to the Undertaker um, is really good at pulling off gimmicks, as a as old Mark Calloway was. Um, he was um, the Undertaker who who kind of angled for for um, for Charles Wright to be brought into WWF um, back in the nineties, and and I think uh, when. When Charles Wright came in, he, he he pulled off four, I think, four memorable kind of iconic gimmicks, and obviously he started off with Papa Shango, um, who was a who was a a voodoo villain, um, kind of I guess similar traits to the Undertaker, um, coming out to um, coming out to to, to uh, billows of smoke and messing with the arena lights and bringing that mystical edge to the WWE. Um, famously, obviously, missed his, missed his cue at WrestleMania 8, failing to, <laughs> failing to break up the the Hogan pin on Sid Vicious after the leg drop, so Sid had to kick out himself. But it still led him to probably Papa Shango's most famous feud, which was with the Ultimate Warrior that came that came out of that match. And it's probably testament to, to the man that, even though he blew a moment on the biggest stage of all, Vince didn't fire him there and then. Um, so I, I just remember when he was uh, casting his spells on Ultimate Warrior. I remember, I, I remember it terrified me at the time. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what age I would have been, but it's certainly something I look back and remember now as as, as something that, that scared the shit out of me, basically. So that's pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, due to kind of other circumstances, uh, injuries, politics, whatnot, I think the character of Papa Shango didn't, didn't get all the breaks that were actually planned for him. Perhaps, perhaps there was a world title match in there for him. Yeah, again, he, well, he, he had a, a match against Bret Hart for the title. Oh, he did, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think he was, yeah, he was D1 against Warrior, wasn't he? Uh, well, actually, it was it's, it was actually meant to go up against Sid, but Sid got uh, fired right. from the company, uh, uh, and that's when they transitioned into the Warrior storyline. But, that's yeah, right. he, he was meant to be a big, a big player. Yeah. So, so who knows how how far he would have gone if if things didn't kind of conspire against him? But uh, apparently, uh, it it wasn't a gimmick that was massively popular with fans. Even though I look back on it quite fondly, and uh, and and Wright was uh, released, um, but it wasn't long until he returned again. This time as Karma Mustafa, which uh, apparently um, was a no, 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 no. It was just Karma when he first came back. Just Karma. Okay. It was Mustafa when he joined the nation. Right. Okay. Just Karma then, which was, I think, is like a, a kind of a, a UFC fighter gimmick. Yeah. Um, again, it was short-lived, but he he was in there mixing it up with um, with kind of the the upper echelon of talent. Again, this time his friend the Undertaker, who he who he stole the urn from and melted down into a necklace. Yep. It's probably his his biggest biggest act. But again, um, release. Uh, he got he got released yet again, but. Similar to Dustin, he was he was pulled back. Clearly, um, clearly a popular guy amongst WWF management. He returned this time as part of the nation domination, as you rightfully said, as, as Kama Mustafa this time, playing kind of an integral part in that whole gang warfare 
bit of 1997. Oh, that's one of my favourite I loved of it. wrestling. I loved now. it. Yeah, the gang I rules it, era. Gang rules. I wish they'd bring back um wish they'd bring back um some more kind of stables along that and, and Nation of Domination really cool. I really like them as a stable. Mm-hmm. Then out of that once Nation of Domination had, had, had fallen apart, probably came his well, definitely came his most his most popular um gimmick, which was the the colourful pimp accompanied mm-hmm. to the ring every night by his ho train. Uh the godfather. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, very properly came out, and it, and it won him his his first title uh, as as an intercontinental champion. Um, and kind of this, this gimmick now that returns every now and again in Royal Rumbles or backstage segments because it is it is just um, it is it is a fondly remembered gimmick that that Charles Wright really made made his own, and uh, and it's actually the the gimmick that he got inducted into the Hall of Fame on. Yeah. Um. But he also had time to to become the good father, as part of Right to Censor, um, which uh, he was originally a target of Right to Censor because of his obviously immoral behaviour. Lost the bull bu- ways. <laughs> his pimping ways. He lost the bull Buchanan in a match in which he had to, if he lost, he had to give up his pimping ways. Um, so he joined Right to Censor as part of that. Um, and then, as I said, forevermore, kind of Godfather will turn up when you when you least expect it. Most more often than not showing up to talk his old pals out of settling down. Um, most famously, he did this while Teddy Long was was getting married in the ring to Crystal. Um, Godfather came out, uh, tried to convince Teddy Long to to ditch Crystal at the altar and go back to having fun with him and uh, him and Farouk. Um, Teddy Long turned him down, but. Godfather left with with all of the male guests of the wedding, um, following the hoe train <laughs> out, wow. out, of the, out of the service. <laughs> I quite like. Uh, I, I watched it earlier. I quite like um, that. You, you could see CM Punk really wondering why the hell he's part of this. Um, and yeah, like I said, he would, he would go on to be, to be inducted into Hall of Fame in 2016 as the Godfather. And in 2018, was, I think the last time we saw him, Mark Henry and the Godfather met up backstage to discuss how they'd all grown up. And and Godfather, although he was still wearing the gear, he'd 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 given up pimping, uh, just as Mark Henry had given up being sexual chocolate. And uh, I'm sure it's not the last time we've seen him, but but uh, that that was a, a fun little moment I think on Raw 25. It's a great pick, um, and I can't read to it because I was going to be literally my next pick. You got anything to add? No, I think you you, you covered it really, really well. Uh, he, he was literally the first person I actually started to research when when we uh, decided on this topic. So, yeah, me too. Me too. Great pick. And uh, I think the uh, the Papa Shango character was actually based on uh, a James Bond villain, uh, Baron Samada. Um, yeah, Baron Samada, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, great pick, Paul, and great avoidance of a veto. You absolute I've won the veto man. battle again. Yes, you have. I'm I'm going into the Hall of Fame soon. <laughs> <laughs> Warren, let's go to you and and complete your Mount Rushmore. Um, Mick Foley. It's, yeah, and I think, uh, I think this is I think this is the guy. I think you really can't have you know a Mount Rushmore of successful wrestlers who've been, who've 
been successful with multiple gimmicks on and so forth and not not have him on it uh from his beginnings in world class to the death matches uh, we're starting of course as cactus jack right and that's how he yeah. made his name cactus jack win world class and then uh really cementing who he was in uh, fmw all those years that's where he that's where he became uh part of the uh, um, the circle of king of kings of death matches back then in Onita's old promotion. Uh, his fights with Terry Funk over there were, of course, absolutely legendary, and with uh, uh, Wing, Kanem- uh, Wing Kanemera as well. Um, I-, I don't think he ever fought Onita outside of a like a tag team or a six man tag or something like that, because uh, I think at that point Onita had re- retired anyway. But uh, um, uh, yeah, he's you know he fought Hayabusa, established his legend over there on on the on the North America on North American shores. Well, you know, hardcore wrestling started to appear a little more. Of course, like he was, he did a stint in WCW. Of course, that we all know, he won the tag titles again as Cactus Jack with Kevin Sullivan. Uh, but the the whole FMW stuff. Um, with um, the whole FMW stuff, with uh, uh, coupled with what was happening in ECW at the time as well, really, really solidified who Cactus Jack was, um, and because um, he had his hardcore matches here on North American soil under Paul Heyman, won the ECW Tag Team Championships with Mikey Whipwreck, um, but then of course the big deal was him coming over, finally signing with WWF, but creating an entirely new gimmick for him in Mankind. And it's interesting because I think there is a parallel to be made here with Mr. Wright, with Charles Wright, uh, with Papa Shango, because clearly the Mankind gimmick was created to have something for Undertaker to do create this insane weirdo that hangs out in boiler rooms that, you know, that has that same type of darkness. I think this is what kind of what they wanted to do with Papa Shango as well, but oopsie poopsie things happened for Charles Wright as Paul, um, uh, as Paul uh, went through and that never materialized. So that's it. So that's essentially what uh, that's essentially how I feel the mankind gimmick came into came into uh, into business and quickly became extremely memorable, but not necessarily sure the matches, but the portrayal of it. Right. It's what Mick put into and I'm talking about early mankind. Right. Not. Late, you know, Mr. Socko and stuff like that. Well, but we'll get to that. The early portrayal that he that he made of him, you know, pulling his hair out and the the voice, the the how he how he acted bent. There was something that uh, that Mick really infused into mankind that made him trouble troubling, worrisome, and then coupled with the with the insane stuff that he do in the ring, and you're like, well, okay, this this character is just nuts. This this character is just absolutely nuts. Um, so that that stuff would happen, but then 
then, you know, stuff would happen. Mankind sort of broke. Next thing you know, you have, you have dude love showing up on television. Who is like the happy-go-lucky version of, 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 uh, of Mick Foley slash Mankind at the time. Um, which was actually, if I remember the story correctly, Dude Love was like Mick's first wrestling gimmick, but not when he was wrestling, like when he was pretending like in his living room to be a wrestler. You know, he's like, I'm Dude Love. And yeah, I, he, I, right. He, he first uh, was was Dude Love when he was jumping off his own garage roof onto That's mattresses. It. Yeah. Right. No, like, not when he was an actual professional wrestler, when he was just doing backyard stuff. Yeah, uh, that's it. So it was a callback to that, and again, this this worked because the idea was like, okay, mankind. That's when the mask started to slip. You know, it's like, are we looking at mankind or are we looking at Mick Foley, who is this guy who is behind mankind, but now he's sort of cracked and he wants to be this this babyface crowd favorite dude, love dancing, smiling, you know, colorful psychedelic, you know, everyone's like, what the hell am I watching right now? Yeah, that, so that, the reason he actually introduced the Doodle character was uh, when Steve Austin refused to to have Mankind as his tag team partner. As his tag team partner. That's yeah. right, that's right, that's right. Um, so, so, but, but there, there was that part where he was, the mask was slipping, right? It's like, who exactly are we looking at? Are we looking at a guy or are we looking at a character and this was unprecedented at the time and i know i remember on the message boards everyone was confused like what are we what are we watching what is this you know it's like it, there he can just switch gimmicks whenever he wants sure and that was the that was the genius behind it and frankly i'm going to use the word genius because i don't think um, I don't think it would have been as successful with anyone else than Mick Foley pulling it off. I think the reason why it worked is because because it was Mick Foley putting in um, putting in the effort to make it happen, right? Yep. And then he goes back to mankind. Where we're still talking him. He goes back to mankind, but not the same mankind. Now we have a mankind who is affable, uh, jokey. Goofy. Goofy, holding on to the naivete that was him, but, you know, the sort of impressionable, manipulative, not manipulative, but manipulatable, that's not a word, <laughs> that can be manipulated, thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and that's it, so he was adding, he was adding his own in there. Um, and, and, that's, and that's brilliant at the same time, taking an established gimmick, but switching it making it into something else we still get the references the mask the the abuse to your body the uh, uh we we get it all but then you have mr socko you have him winning his first wwf title on monday night raw we all know the story tony Schiavone over on nitro saying that'll put butts in seats and yet it did everyone switched over to see it i still get fucking chills every time i see that main event i cry it was for me, it's one of the greatest moments I ever experienced as a as a wrestling fan. The the the, the King of the Ring tumble, of course. And then it all comes back. It all circles all the way, all the way back around to Cactus Jack. 
Cactus Jack makes his return. He even shows up with Terry Funk as Chainsaw Charlie. But it, you know, it all circles back to his original gimmick, the thing that got him over, the thing that got him known, I should say. But I think ultimately the main gimmick, and this, I think this is the the sheer, the real, true, sheer brilliance of Mick Foley and his gimmicks is is the idea that Mick Foley himself, that, that Mick Foley is the gimmick. Yeah. Mick Foley is a guy who has multiple personalities. He's a guy who has multiple characters, multiple visions of, of himself. And that's what we've grown to understand about Mick Foley as a performer, is that this guy can be three other guys. He just has to decide which one he wants to be. And yeah. that... That's there's really four faces to Mick Foley ultimately, and that's what's fantastic about it, and that's what I think it make it's it's absolutely brilliant, and it's something that Matt Hardy is very close to, you know, to a certain extent, but I don't think that Hardy's previous gimmicks have been infused with that same type of personality and and uh, 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 performance that only a guy like Mick Foley could have delivered. And success throughout world champion, tag team champion, hardcore champion, TNA world champion. I mean, all of it. He's he's had success, gold everywhere he's he he's been regardless of the gimmick. It's it's a perfect pick and it was also going to be my my final pick for our Mount Rushmore, and it's for everything that you've just said. There's no way that we could have a Mount Rushmore of wrestlers with gimmicks without including Mick Foley. Absolutely. The the fact that this guy entered a Royal Rumble with three totally different characters is just a testament to how good of a character worker Mick Foley was. Uh, just so, so good. And I think we have to give a lot of... Uh, a lot of props to Jim Ross as well because he really sold the fact that this guy was Mick Foley yeah. and that these were three different like, personas. And, and it, I think it was Jim who, who uh, coined the phrase the three faces of Foley and, and stuff like um, Mrs. Foley's baby boy because he right. was really kind of breaking the fourth wall that this guy wasn't... It, it was a character, and it, he brought out whichever character needed to be brought out at the time. If he was really being like uh, destroyed by the heels, he'd, he'd return to like the vicious Cactus Jack. If he was playing uh, a goofy uh, character line in, in in the tag team with the Rock, we got Mankind. If he was uh, being more of him of himself, he was being the Dude Love character. Yeah, so I, I can't not have Mick Foley on on our Mount Rushmore. So yeah, it would have been my pick as well. I agree, and, and it's a really good point. It, it, the the, uh, the Royal Rumble is a really good moment, and the thing is that we all popped. Mm-hmm. Like, every time we were like, oh, shit, and no one groaned, and no one was like, ugh, this is so lame. You know, it's like, no, it worked. It worked because they had magic with Mick. Mm-hmm. I, 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 like, the, uh, there's good ideas for gimmicks, right? But if you don't have the wrestler to pull it off, it will come off as contrived and 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 won't connect. Mick had that. Look, it's the same thing with Undertaker, right? 
It's the same thing with Undertaker. Anyone else but uh, Mark Calloway would not have would not have been what it became. Absolutely no. not. Exactly. Exactly. It's a perfect way to to round off our Mount Rushmore's. Um, well, uh, this has been an absolutely amazing episode. Uh, what we need from you now, sir, is uh, we need a topic for a future guest. What uh, what kind of Mount Rushmore would you like to hear about? I would like to hear a, hmm, how about a Mount Rushmore of... <laughs> Not say of above average match standards. <laughs> of above average wrestlers. <laughs> How about, how about a Mount... Here, here's something that might be fun. A Mount Rushmore of NWA champions. Have you guys done that before? No, we certainly have not. That's a, That'd be fun. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, Warren, this has been brilliant, uh, as I knew it would be, and it's a shame that it's took so long for you to be on the show, and I hope it won't be that long before you are, you are back on. Let all our, our listeners know about... If they if they don't know you already, which I cannot understand if they if they don't, uh, where they can get all of you on social media and about all your your many 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 content outlets. I um, YouTube.com. Let's start with that. YouTube. Yeah. Just, just go on YouTube. Is there? Is it everywhere? The Slate. <laughs> I absolutely love the Slate. I think it's a a real breath of fresh air. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, Max. You're 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 not so bad yourself, pal. <laughs> I, I sort of fall, I sort of fell in love with Paul today. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, <laughs> YouTube. Wow, YouTube.com/slash <laughs> Mr. Warren Hayes is uh, where all the magic happens. I have a podcast uh, that I record live every Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, right there. So if you want to come in and join the live chat, that's always fantastic. It's always a good time recapping the week in wrestling and and good times. So uh, I also do pre-shows before uh, before Raw before. Uh, the Wednesday Night Wars and before SmackDown, so 7.30 p.m., just a quick half hour to get run down what's on in store for us. So I do that there as well. Uh, prediction shows when there's pay-per-views, uh, post shows on New Japan shows really early in the morning, uh, stuff like that, all sorts of things. YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. You can also get all the podcasts uh, on uh, on your favorite podcast application. I'm there as well. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at uh, Mr. Warren Hayes. How about that? Perfect. And Paul, your favourite time of the week, sir. Yeah, well, you can follow us on Twitter too. We're at Dej Kirkby and at Rain Counter, and we're both at Badlands Pod. And you can listen to us every Thursday, or if you uh, if you uh, if you go onto your podcast provider and and subscribe to the Cheershot Media Group, you can also get lots of other lovely podcasts featuring our featuring our voices if you go if you also subscribe to uh, visionaries global media shooting the sports ish and five nerds go go on um, subscribe to all all of those um give us give us ratings on, on on your podcast provider if you'd be so kind and um yeah we'll be back again next thursday for another another mount rushmore um stay safe and always use your head
TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 